0: you're listening to dental talk from VivaLearning.com. welcome to dental talk i'm dr phil klein today we'll be talking about something that we've all seen in our practice after doing a great job excavating deep caries, lo and behold we get a call from the patient complaining of tooth sensitivity so in this amazing time of modern dentistry what's the best way to proceed to help us answer this question is dr neville hatfield Dr. Hatfield runs a private practice in northern New Jersey and maintains hospital privileges at his community hospital. He takes pride in providing the best and most comprehensive dental treatment to his patients, and he believes he does so through his participation in numerous continuing education courses. He looks forward to writing his upcoming and bi-monthly column in dental economics. Dr. Hatfield, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. Thank you, Phil. I'm very glad to be here. So just for clarification for our audience about sensitivity in general, could you go over the general concept of sensitivity and what are the typical things that cause it? If we go back to our dental
1: school days and we look at it physiologically, our dentin is porous in a way that we have dentinal tubules, that the hydrodynamic theory states that any kind of stimuli, hot, cold, or or sweet, or some other sensitivity-causing agent will Stimulate the water in our tubules to basically react with our nerve and then cause, you know, a stimulation and shoot off those neurons to basically give the stimulation of pain. Um, hot, cold, and sweets are an inherent problem with caries and also just physiologically in terms of certain layers of our tooth. For example, the cementum, when it's not covered up by gingiva, can stimulate. Uh, sensitivity. If we get through the enamel into the dentin, then we can obviously have an exposure of our dentin in some form or another, whether or not that's natural via caries or another way where we are possibly talking about, um, you know, our own restorations are leaking.
0: When it comes to sensitivity, let's talk about removing decay, getting down there with hand instruments and being very careful and getting deep decay removed. And then the patient goes home, the numbness wears off and boom, you know, the patient calls the office and is miserable because they have too sensitivity or even worse than that, it's more severe pain. What's the best way to proceed at that point? And give us your thoughts on on that whole scenario.
1: So, in my opinion, in my experience with this, I think a lot of the treatment is palliative in the terms of that we suggest to their patients, you know, something that's an anti-inflammatory. You can obviously go and give a steroid. I think that's a little bit much for this situation. Um, Usually my go-to is an NSAID, most likely ibuprofen, that's a great knockout to help dampen the sensitivity after deep caries excavation. So that way the inflammation in the pulp hopefully decreases and that patient doesn't have that stimulation of a throbbing nerve that they sometimes
0: feel. What's the period of time where you feel that that pain should subside and once they stop taking the medication, they shouldn't be experiencing any more sensitivity? So the sensitivity that we're talking about in this case, if NSAID does work, is really the direct result of the excavation, and then it settles down, right? So what's that settle down period that you feel comfortable with uh, where you don't have to go to the next step?
1: Correct. So we're talking out of the, the stage of reversible pulpitis where we have, you know, our pulp is inflamed in some form or another. So the stage and the time frame that I usually give my patients is anywhere from three to seven days. Um, you know, obviously as a practitioner, it's up to you to decide the dosage that you give of something like ibuprofen. Typically I would prescribe to the patient 600 milligrams of ibuprofen to take every six to eight hours as kind of needed for that that pain. Have them take it for you know three days, stop taking it for maybe half a day, see if it gets any better. If not, resume it for another two or three days, and if still not, that's when they come back and come back to the office and we can kind of talk about different treatments that we can do.
0: Okay. So if the sensitivity gets worse though, before seven days. Then I would assume you'd want to have them come back, right? Because now you're looking at a possible endodontic implication. Is that is absolutely that, okay?
1: Yeah, because we're looking on the continuum from reversible to irreversible pulpitis. And if it's the enzymes are no longer working, and even if they add Tylenol on top of it and do that dual therapy there, and if it's still not doing anything for them, in my opinion, that's always you're gone to gone to the irreversible pulpitis stage. You Need to basically proceed with
0: some kind of pulpal therapy at that point. Okay. Yeah, you're giving it some time to subside. I mean, when I practiced endodontics, again, I did the root canal, but we also did direct pulp caps and did our best even indirect pulp caps uh, to avoid root canals when they were referred to us. Uh, I didn't give them that long. If they were sensitive after three days of ibuprofen, I said, it's time to come in. We need to extirpate. So before we go into the recommended preventive therapy that could be done after doing deep excavation, which I want to talk about with you, when that patient is still sensitive after that time period and they come back to your office, what do you do next?
1: Typically, I would take out the the restoration that I did, see where i'm where I'm at in terms of you know proximity of the nerve by taking a bite wing if we're close. Sometimes we can put something like you mentioned earlier, like a direct or an indirect pulp cap over the tooth and then re-prescribe again, then sets again, and, and restore over that. You can also do something where you, you put kind of a temporary material in, in the meantime and see how their tooth does. So you don't need to permanently restore, but do some kind of therapy, like a direct or indirect, put a temporary material monitor. And if they're doing better, you can restore, if not irreversible, pulpitis stage, endodontic therapy at
0: that point. So tell us what can be done after deep excavation. So now we've gone in there, lots of decay, we removed it very carefully. Let's talk about not having an exposure, a vital exposure, even a pinpoint exposure. There's still what we believe is a layer of dentin on top of the pulp. What's the next step that you think a dentist should carefully consider when doing their direct restoratives?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think one of the big things that I think I should mention first is that is talking about infected versus affected dentin and the fact that you can leave affected dentin, which is dentin that still might have bacteria in there. But as long as you, you know, studies have shown us that as long as you have a nice seal around the area and you put some kind of medicament on the area that the nerve basically shouldn't be affected after that. So that's an important consideration to not even get to the direct exposure, mechanical exposure or carious exposure otherwise. So thinking about that, so an indirect pulp cap what we think about is, as you had mentioned, is that we have some secondary dentin still on top of the nerve. And we have not quite reached the, the pulp at that point. You usually see a pink shadow or you, you're you already five millimeters deep into a molar and you're, you're thinking on a younger patient, hey, I'm getting close here. I, I possibly should think about doing some kind of medication. In which case, you know, we have many materials that we can use um, in order to put on there. But the idea is you put the medicament in the tooth you use it as the manufacturer recommends, and then uh, you can either restore it temporarily or you can restore the tooth permanently depending on your comfortability of the situation.
0: So if you're, if the patient's already shown that they have discomfort, wouldn't it be the best way to go to put a temporary in there on top of that indirect pulp cap and not go to a final composite, or do you think it matters?
1: I think it's up to the individual practitioner. In my case, I think I'd always go a little bit more cautious with the patient. I think if you... If you tell them, hey, you know we're getting close to the nerve here, you've had discomfort in the past, or you're currently having discomfort, I'm hoping that this medication will hopefully calm down your nerve. We'll give it the three days, like you had mentioned previously, that you like to give in the past. If it doesn't get better with the NSAID and prescribed dosage, maybe we should consider um, not restoring this permanently and actually going ahead with a different treatment.
0: Let's talk about some of the materials in the literature and widely used in the profession. What are some of the options?
1: Absolutely. So I guess if we're starting with the biology of, you know, how these medicaments work in the first place, um, the whole, the whole, everything starts with calcium release. Calcium release is basically what we need, or cal, uh, calcium release from our medicament is what we need to stimulate our collagen fibers to release growth factors, which then stimulate the odontoblast to secrete hydroxyapatite, so that way we can actually crystallize or form tertiary dentin or a dentinal bridge and the area of our nerve that is approximating the deep caries excavation or the, the closest area of uh, exposure there.
0: So, and this applies yeah. to both direct and indirect. The that same, is correct. The same physiologic I... process is occurring in both those situations. Um, have you found any correlation with sensitivity between your direct pulp caps and your indirect pulp caps? So. I would say that
1: there is a higher probability of a if you have an actual pinpoint exposure or any exposure to the nerve that you're going to have more sensitivity inherently, you already are reaching the nerve. Um, you know, when we do that, we know that we need to stop the bleeding first and then place our medicament. First and foremost, if you place the medicament over a bleeding nerve, then you're going to have a really bad time um, kind of restoring and managing that patient in the future. So, you know, direct exposures of the nerve, yes. So they, I feel like personally, in my opinion, they do have, you know, a higher proportion of sensitivity. So that's a that's a consideration you need to have when you're choosing the pathway for treatment. You know, if it's a pinpoint exposure, my comfort level usually is, you know, hey, this is a mechanical pinpoint exposure. This is not a carious exposure. There's not going to be inflammation in the nerve from a bacterial kind of insult. So let's see if uh, and, and a, or a direct pulp cap therapy will work in this situation, or if we need to depending on the size of the exposure. If it's large, I'm going to jump right to end and not think therapy of some kind.
0: Right. So if it's a pinpoint exposure and the patient didn't have to come back, this was their first visit related to this too. They weren't coming back to have it evaluated because they were sensitive. What's wrong with going to a, a final restoration because it's going to save the patient a visit or finish it off, right? So we don't have any further leakage with temporaries falling out and the patient doesn't come back because the worst thing that can happen is you send them home with a temporary and then they don't come back when they should and the temporary falls out or leaks. Now you've got a problem because now you've got contamination of an area that's trying to heal itself. Isn't there an argument to say that even if it's a minute pinpoint pulp exposure using a pulp cap, let's just go to the final and seal it up because the process of the materials that we're using on top of that pulp protective material, they have a lot of sealing capabilities. What do you think?
1: I I agree. I think there is a viability to that. And actually, in my clinical practice, that's what I normally do. I do do go to the final. If I'm kind of iffy on the edge, you know, this is slightly larger than a pinpoint exposure. That's when I probably put the temporary in and and I inform the patient. I think it's case selection based off of a practitioner's experience. But most oftentimes, I trust my medicament I, you know, I use a certain one and obviously there's many to use and we can talk further about what there is out there. Um, but for sure, I always, I don't always, but I mostly often go to the final restoration visit if it's a resin composite or a core buildup or what have you.
0: It's like flying a plane in the clouds. It's like, you got to trust your instruments, right? You just got to trust your instruments. So exactly, what is the material that you like in your office that you trust so much?
1: So the material that I use most often is actually Doxas uh, Ceramir Protect LC or Light Cure. It's a resin-based material that um, contains calcium aluminate and calcium silicate. The reason why I like it so much is is that it differs itself in multiple ways from other materials out there. you have got our traditional ones like Dical, BioDentin, or MTA, which are you know great materials and they've worked great in the past. MTA, for example, has an eighty percent success rate over three years with caries exposures, or um, calcium hydroxide has a 50% success rate over three years of caries exposure. And carious exposures meaning those are probably already insulted nerves from having bacteria sit there. So, and then you switch on over to other products like Limelight from Pulp Dent or Theracal from Bisco, Bisco excuse me. Um, and then Doxa just happens to be the one that I grab most
0: often. Is it the handling? What's the characteristic that you think differentiates itself from the other ones?
1: So one is the calcium aluminate in addition to the calcium silicate. They have shown that they actually release more fluoride over long term than the other materials that are around. The addition of that extra calcium over long term will allow that dentin bridged formation to happen more quickly and, and then kind of stimulate you know that reparative dentin to really seal that nerve off and not have any problems. As well as you had previously mentioned the handling. You know the handling of this material If you use certain other materials, they're either very runny, if you're talking about some other resin based materials, or if you're thinking about something like Dical, where it's like, you know, you're playing almost like I'm taking Nate Lawson's analogy here and saying that it's like playing operation, right? You put it on the end of a little ball burnisher and you're trying to get it right where you need to go if you touch anywhere, but where you need to go, you need to go back and clean that up. So a syringeable material like Ceramere Protect is makes it that much easier. And then, even the last thing is going all the way back to talking about leaving bacteria in and around an affected dentin, is that it's got an alkaline pH. The alkaline pH is shown to be anywhere greater than 10, 10 to 12, which, if you compare it to some other materials, they don't have that high pH. That high pH is bactericidal or bacteriostatic or antimicrobial overall.
0: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, actually, Dical has a high pH, but it has, <laughs> that's about all it has, right? Um, correct. I mean, it's got a
1: solubility, though, that you don't have that, right. you know, you're protected with the resin-based material. You have to put in resin-modified glass ionomer over it before you restore. So why not make it easy on yourself? Have one material that works great, that's easy to use,
0: and that's, you know, bacteriostatic or bacteriostidal. Right. right. Okay, so we have a deep number 30. On the axial wall, we have a very small pinpoint exposure. You put Ceramere Protect over that, right? Correct. Give us the clinical steps, exactly how you treat that pinpoint exposure all the way to the final restoration. All
1: right. So deep excavation on number 30, first and foremost, you see the pinpoint exposure. You have to stop the bleeding. You can use um, sodium hypochlorite and kind of stop the bleeding that way. Sometimes people use etch just in and of itself, just right over the area. I personally um, just put a little cotton pellet, sterile cotton pellet over there wait, see if the bleeding is stopped. And then I immediately syringe over my Ceramere Protect light cure it, uh, usually followed up by some kind of flowable resin composite over top just to make sure everything's sealed nicely. Obviously you have to etch and bond before this, after after the, the Ceramere Protect is placed and before the, the flowable composite. And then I'll usually follow it up with some sort of packable uh, composite, you know, that has a high fill content.
0: Okay, so when you use the Ceramere Protect, How much material are we talking about putting it over a a tiny pinpoint exposure? What's the diameter of the material cover?
1: So pinpoint exposure, I usually put it just about a millimeter around the pinpoint exposure all the way around. You don't need very much, you just need enough to where you think that either that pole porn is coming out if we're talking about an axial wall or even coming down occlusally,
0: you know, you don't need that much. The applicator that's provided in the system precise enough to be able to apply it that way?
1: Absolutely. It's in a, it's in a syringeable cartridge. So it's just like if you're using any flowable composite, you know, we're used to using them almost every day in a restorative practice. So, you know, how much easier does it get for you? you know? Right. And is that light
0: cured? Cure? It is light cured. It is light yep. cured. Okay. So you, you, it you is light cured. does the dentin around that exposure have to be bone dry? So bone dry, you
1: desiccate the tooth and probably insult the nerve a little bit more. You want to obviously get any mass moisture out, um, So usually I would just put just a little bit quick wave of the air water syringe over the pinpoint exposure and put it right over that. You don't want to get rid of all that water.
0: Almost like dent and bonding. It's you you want a slight a little bit of moist dent in there and then you light cure it. And then you don't need to do anything but put a flowable composite over if you want to use a flowable or some of these other materials that are warmed composites. Their physical characteristics are that they are flowable because they're warmed, but then they they harden up a little bit uh, so that you can sculpt them they firm up, I should say, then they could be finished. So in that case, you may not even need a flowable, right? It's just your preference.
1: You're exactly right. You know, bulk okay. fill composites, heating composites, things like that are micro fill or hybrid fill composites are, are great materials nowadays. So you don't necessarily have to use a flowable. right? But, but you I could... personally in my
0: practice use one. So you use a uh, a universal bonding agent over the ceramir Protect.
1: Correct, I etch bond flowable right over it and then that you know makes me comfortable enough where i can drag my explorer around it and make sure everything's sealed over top and that way when i come back and i really pack composite around it that i don't actually right. push off the material
0: yeah so you, you essentially you have to have a lot of confidence in, in this material because you are doing you know a bunch of steps here to restore this tooth really well but like i mentioned if you have a high percentage of success with this pulp protectant material why not go to final restoration and maintain this tooth in a very sealed environment versus doing a temp? That means you definitely have to remove the temporary, which could actually cause or provoke um, neural inflammation, right? By going back in Absolutely. there and taking the temporary out, you're, you're kind of roughing it up again in there.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I most often go to final restoration. I trust this material a lot. You know, knock on wood, I don't think I've had more than one patient return saying, you know, I, this is not working and I need to send them to an endodontist, you know, right. an endodontist to basically take care of this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the material works great. It's easy to handle. I My patients appreciate it. And, you know, most often than not, I'm more cautious and I use it more often because you know, nothing's worse than having a patient call you saying that they're having sensitivity after deep restoration. Right.
0: So the moral of the story is, if you're doing a deep excavation, as we talked about in the intro of this podcast, certainly taking consideration protective materials that are designed to go right over the pulp. Um, and I know doctors are still using glass and and other materials like that. And, you know, they have their place, but there's no question that the R&D that's been performed by this company, Doxa, has been quite extensive to specifically handle the Denton Bridge and Denton Healing right over live nerve and the pulp itself. Thank you very much, Dr. Hatfield. It's been very helpful to hear from uh, a GP who really is down in the trenches, right? You're doing the work. and Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's, it's great to hear from you. It's great to hear from researchers. That's what makes these podcasts interesting. So we hope to have you on again, and uh, we appreciate all your time. Thank you, Phil. I really appreciate being here. You have a great day.